9. Rooting develops into many unhappy marriages, and blight many a life. Man happily married has superior advantages both social and financially. 5. Flirting just for fun. Who is the flirt? What is his reputation, motive, or character? Every young man and woman must have a reputation, if it is not good it is bad. There is no middle ground. Young people who are running in the streets after dark, boisterous and noisy in their conversation, gossiping and giggling, flirting with first one and then another, will soon settle their matrimonial prospects among good society. Modesty is a priceless jewel. No sensible young man with a future will marry a flirt. 6. The Arch Deceiver. They who win the affection simply for their own amusement are committing a great sin for which there is no adequate punishment. How can you shipwreck the innocent life of that confiding maiden? How can you forget her happy looks as she drank in your expressions of love? How can you forget her melting eyes and glowing cheeks? Her tender tone reciprocating your pretended love. Remember that God is infinitely just. And, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. You may dash into business. Seek pleasure in the club room. And visit gambling hells. But, thou art the man, will ever stare you in the face. Her pale, sad cheeks. Her hollow eyes will never cease to haunt you. Men should promote happiness, and not cause misery. Let the savage Indians torture captives to death by the slow flaming faggot. But let civilized man respect the tenderness and love of confiding women. Torturing the opposite sex is double distilled barbarity. Young men agonizing young ladies, is the cold-blooded cruelty of devils, not men. 7. The rule to follow. Do not continually pay your attentions to the same lady if you have no desire to win her affections. Occasionally escorting her to church, concert, picnic, party, etc. is perfectly proper, but to give her your special attention, and extend invitations to her for all places of amusements where you care to attend, is an implied promise that you prefer her company above all others, and she has a right to believe that your attentions are serious. 8. Every girl should seal her heart against all manifested affections, unless they are accompanied by a proposal. Woman's love is her all, and her heart should be as flint until she finds one who is worthy of her confidence. Young woman, never bestow your affections until by some word or deed at least you are fully justified in recognizing sincerity and faith in him who is paying you special attention. Better not be engaged until 22. You are then more competent to judge the honesty and falsity of man. Nature has thrown a wall of maidenly modesty around you. Preserve that and not let your affections be trifled with while too young by any youthful flirt who is in search of hearts to conquer. 9. Female Flirtation The young man who loves a young woman has paid her the highest compliment in the possession of man. Perpetrate almost any sin. Inflict any other torture. But spare him the agony of disappointment. It is a crime that can never be forgiven, and a debt that never can be paid. 10. Loyalty. Young persons with serious intentions, or those who are engaged should be thoroughly loyal to each other. If they seek freedom with others the flame of jealousy is likely to be kindled and love is often turned to hatred, and the severest anger of the soul is aroused. Loyalty, faithfulness, confidence, are the three jewels to be cherished in courtship. Don't be a flirt. 11. Kissing fondling, and caressing between lovers. This should never be tolerated under any circumstances, unless there is an engagement to justify it, and then only in a sensible and limited way. 
the girl who allows a young man the privilege of kissing her or putting his arms around her waist before engagement will at once fall in the estimation of the man she has thus gratified and desired to please. Privileges always injure, but never benefit. 12. Improper liberties during courtship kill love. Any improper liberties which are permitted by young ladies, whether engaged or not, will change love into sensuality, and her affections will become obnoxious, if not repellent. Men by nature love virtue, and for a life companion naturally shun an amorous woman. Young folks, as you love moral purity and virtue, never reciprocate love until you have required the right of betrothal. Remember that those who are thoroughly in love will respect the honor and virtue of each other. The purity of woman is doubly attractive, and sensuality in her becomes doubly offensive and repellent. It is contrary to the laws of nature for a man to love a harlot. 13. A seducer. The punishment of the seducer is best given by O.S. Fowler. In his, Creative Science, the sin and punishment rest on all you who call out only to blight a trusting, innocent, loving virgin's affections, and then discard her. You deserve to be horsewhipped by her father, cowhided by her brothers, branded villain by her mother, cursed by herself, and sent to the whipping post and dungeon. 14. Caution. A young lady should never encourage the attentions of a young man who shows no interest in his sisters. If a young man is indifferent to his sisters he will become indifferent to his wife as soon as the honeymoon is over. There are few if any exceptions to this rule. The brother who will not be kind and loving in his mother's home will make a very poor husband. 15. The old rule, never marry a man that does not make his mother a Christmas present every Christmas, is a good one. The young lady makes no mistake in uniting her destinies with the man that loves his mother and respects his sisters and brothers. Safe hints. 1. Marry in your own position in life. If there is any difference in social position, it is better that the husband should be the superior. A woman does not like to look down upon her husband, and to be obliged to do so is a poor guarantee for their happiness. 2. It is best to marry persons of your own faith and religious convictions unless one is willing to adopt those of the other. Difference of faith is apt to divide families, and to produce great trouble in afterlife. A pious woman should beware of marrying any religious man. 3. Don't be afraid of marrying a poor man or woman. Good health, cheerful disposition, stout hearts and industrious hands will bring happiness and comfort. 4. Bright red hair should marry jet black, and jet black auburn or bright red, etc and the more red-faced and bearded or impulsive a man, the more dark, calm, cool and quiet should his wife be, and vice versa, the florid should not marry the florid, but those who are dark, in proportion as they themselves are light. 5. Red-whiskered men should marry brunettes, but no blondes, the color of the whiskers being more determinate of the temperament than that of the hair. 6. The color of the eyes is still more important, gray eyes must marry some other color almost any other except gray, and so a blue, dark, hazel, etc. 7. Those very fleshy should not marry those equally so, but those too spare and slim, and this is doubly true of females. A spare man is much better adapted to a fleshy woman than a round-favored man. Two who are short, thick-set and stocky, should not unite in marriage, but should choose those differently constituted, but on no account one of their own make, and, in general, those predisposed to corpulence are therefore less inclined to marriage. 8. Those with little hair or beard should marry those whose hair is naturally abundant, still those who once had plenty, but who have lost it, 
may marry those who are either bald or have but little, for in this, as in all other cases, all depends on what one is by nature, little on present states. 9. Those whose motive temperament decidedly predominates, who are bony, only moderately fleshy, quite prominent featured, Roman-nosed and muscular, should not marry those similarly formed. 10. Small, nervous men must not marry little, nervous or sanguine women, lest both they and their children have quite too much of the hog-headed and impulsive, and die suddenly. 11. Two very beautiful persons rarely do or should marry, nor too extra homely. The fact is a little singular that very handsome women, who of course can have their pick, rarely marry good-looking men, but generally give preference to those who are homely, because that exquisiteness in which beauty originates naturally blends with that power which accompanies huge noses and disproportionate features. 12. Rapid movers, speakers, laughers, etc. should marry those who are calm and deliberate, and impulsive those who are stoical, while those who are medium may marry those who are either or neither, as they prefer. 13. Noses indicate characters by indicating the organisms and temperaments. Accordingly, those noses especially marked either way should marry those having opposite nasal characteristics. Roman noses are adapted to those which turn up, and pug noses to those turning down, while straight noses may marry either. 14. Men who love to command must be especially careful not to marry imperious. Women's rights women, while those who willingly obey orders need just such. Some men require a wife who shall take their part, yet all who do not need strong-willed women should be careful how they marry them. 15. A sensible woman should not marry an obstinate but injudicious, an intelligent man, because she cannot long endure to see and help him blindly follow his poor, but spurn her good plans. 16. The reserved or secretive should marry the frank. A cunning man cannot endure the least artifice in a wife. Those who are non-committal must marry those who are demonstrative, else, however much they may love, neither will feel sure as to the other's affections, and each will distrust the other, while their children will be deceitful. 17. A timid woman should never marry a hesitating man, lest, like frightened children, each keep perpetually re-alarming the other by imaginary fears. 18. An industrious, thrifty, hard-working man should marry a woman tolerably saving and industrious as the almighty dollar is now the great motor wheel of humanity, and that to which most husbands devote their entire lives to delve alone is a pill work. Marriage Securities 1. Seek each other's happiness. A selfish marriage that seeks only its own happiness defeats itself. Happiness is a fire that will not burn long on one stick. 2. Do not marry suddenly. It can always be done till it is done, if it is a proper thing to do. 3. Marry in your own grade in society. It is painful to be always apologizing for anyone. It is more painful to be apologized for. 4. Do not marry downward. It is hard enough to advance in the quality of life without being loaded with clay heavier than your own. It will be sufficiently difficult to keep your children up to your best level without having to correct a bias in their blood. 5. Do not sell yourself. It matters not whether the price be money or position. 6. Do not throw yourself away. You will not receive too much, even if you are paid full price. 7. Seek the advice of your parents. Your parents are your best friends. They will make more sacrifice for you than any other mortals. They are elevated above selfishness concerning you. If they differ from you concerning your choice, it is because they must. 8. Do not marry to please any third party. 
you must do the living and enduring. 9. Do not marry to spite anybody. It would add wretchedness to folly. 10. Do not marry because someone else may seek the same hand. One glove may not fit all hands equally well. 11. Do not marry to get rid of anybody. The coward who shot himself to escape from being drafted was insane. 12. Do not marry merely for the impulse of love. Love is a principle as well as an emotion. So far as it is a sentiment it is a blind guide. It does not wait to test the presence of exalted character in its object before breaking out into a flame. Shavings make a hot fire. But hard coal is better for the winter. 13. Do not marry without love. A body without a soul soon becomes offensive. 14. Test carefully the effect of protracted association. If familiarity breeds contempt before marriage it will afterward. 15. Test carefully the effect of protracted separation. True love will defy both time and space. 16. Consider carefully the right of your children under the laws of heredity. It is doubtful whether you have a right to increase the number of invalids and cripples. 17. Do not marry simply because you have promised to do so. If a seam opens between you now it will widen into a gulf. It is less offensive to retract a mistaken promise than to perjure your soul before the altar. Your intended spouse has a right to absolute integrity. 18. Married character. It is not so much what one has as what one island. 19. Do not marry the wrong object. Themistically said he would rather marry his daughter to a man without money than to money with a man. It is well to have both. It is fatal to have neither. 20. Demand a just return. You give virtue and purity, and gentleness and integrity. You have a right to demand the same in return. Duty requires it. 21. Require brains. Culture is good, but will not be transmitted. Brain power may be. 22. Study past relationship. The good daughter and sister makes a good wife. The good son and brother makes a good husband. 23. Never marry as a missionary deed. If one needs saving from bad habits he is not suitable for you. 24. Marriage is a sure and specific remedy for all the ills known as seminal losses. As right eating cures a sick stomach and right breathing diseased lungs. So the right use of the sexual organs will bring relief and restoration. Many men who have been sufferers from indiscretions of youth have married, and were soon cured of spermatoria and other complications which accompanied it. 25. A good, long courtship will often cure many difficulties or ills of the sexual organs. O.S. Fowler says, see each other often spend many pleasant hours together, have many walks and talks, think of each other while absent, write many love letters, be inspired to many love feelings and acts towards each other and exercise your sexuality in a thousand forms ten thousand times, every one of which tones up and thereby recuperates this very element now dilapidated. When you have courted long enough to marry, you will be sufficiently restored to be reprofed by it. Up and at it. Dress up. Spruce up. And be on the alert. Don't wait too long to get one much more perfect than you are, but settle on someone soon. Remember that your insect state renders you over dainty, and easily disgusted so contemplate only their lovable qualities. 26. Purity of purpose. Court with a pure and loyal purpose, and when thoroughly convinced that the disposition of other difficulties are in the way of a happy marriage life, then honorably discuss it and honorably treat each other in the settlement. 27. Do not trifle with the feelings or affections of each other. It is a sin that will curse you all the days of your life. Women who make the best wives. 1. Conscious of the duties of her sex. 
a woman conscious of the duties of her sex, one who unflinchingly discharges the duties allotted to her by nature, would no doubt make a good wife. 2. Good wives and mothers. The good wives and mothers are the women who believe in the sisterhood of women as well as in the brotherhood of men. The highest exponent of this type seeks to make her home something more than an abode where children are fed, clothed and taught the catechism. The state has taken her children into politics by making their education a function of politicians. The good wife and homemaker says to her children, Where thou goest, I will go. She puts off her own inclinations to ease and selfishness. She studies the men who propose to educate her children. She exhorts mothers to set aside fathers on the school board. She will even herself accept such thankless office in the interests of the helpless youth of the schools who need a mother's as well as a father's and a teacher's care in this field of politics. 3. A busy woman. As to whether a busy woman, that island a woman who labors for mankind in the world outside her home, whether such an one can also be a good housekeeper, and care for her children, and make a real home, sweet home, with all the comforts by way of variation. Why? I am ready, as the result of years practical experience as a busy woman, to assert that women of affairs can also be women of true domestic tastes and habits. 4. Brainy enough. What kind of women make the best wives? The woman who is brainy enough to be a companion, wise enough to be a counselor, skilled enough in the domestic virtues to be a good housekeeper, and loving enough to guide in true paths the children with whom the home may be blessed. 5. Found the right husband. The best wife is the woman who has found the right husband, a husband who understands her. A man will have the best wife when he rates that wife as queen among women. Of all women she should always be to him the dearest. This sort of man will not only praise the dishes made by his wife, but will actually eat them. 6. Bank account. He will allow his life companion a bank account, and will exact no itemized bill at the end of the month. Above all, he will pay the Easter bonnet bill without a word. Never bring a friend to dinner without first telephoning home. Short. He will comprehend that the woman who makes the best wife is the woman whom, by his indulgence of her ways and whims, he makes the best wife. So after all, good husbands have the most to do with making good wives. 7. Best homemaker. A woman to be the best homemaker needs to be devoid of intensive nerves. She must be neat and systematic, but not too neat lest she destroy the comfort she endeavors to create. She must be distinctly amiable, while firm. She should have no career, or desire for a career, if she would fill to perfection the home sphere. She must be affectionate, sympathetic and patient, and fully appreciative of the worth and dignity of her sphere. 8. Know nothing whatsoever about cooking or sewing or housekeeping. I am inclined to make my answer to this question somewhat concise. After the manner of a text without the sermon, like this, to be the best wife, depends upon three things, first, an abiding faith with God, second, duty lovingly discharged as daughter, wife and mother, third, self-improvement, mentally, physically, spiritually, with this as a text and as a glittering generality, let me touch upon one or two practical essentials, in the course of every week it is my privilege to meet hundreds of young women, prospective wives, I am astonished to find that many of these know nothing whatsoever about cooking or sewing or housekeeping. Now, if a woman cannot broil a beefsteak, nor boil the coffee when it is necessary, if she cannot mend the linen, nor patch a coat, if she cannot make a bed, order the dinner, create a lampshade, ventilate the house, 
nor do anything practical in the way of making home actually a home. How can she expect to make even a good wife? Not to speak of a better or best wife. I need not continue this sermon. Wise girls will understand. 9. The best keeper of home. As to who is the best keeper of this transition home. Memory pictures to me a woman grown white under the old slavery. Still bound by it. In that little out of the way Kansas town. But never so bound that she could not put aside household tasks. At any time. For social intercourse. For religious conversation. For correspondence. For reading. And. Above all. For making everyone who came near her feel that her home was the expression of herself. A place for rest. Study. And the cultivation of affection. She did not exist for her walls. Her carpets. Her furniture. They existed for her and all who came to her she considered herself the equal of all, and everyone else thought her the superior of all. Adaptation, conjugal affection, and fatal errors. Advice to the married and unmarried. 1. Marrying for wealth. Those who marry for wealth often get what they marry and nothing else, for rich girls besides being generally destitute of both industry and economy, are generally extravagant in their expenditures and require servants enough to dissipate a fortune. They generally have insatiable wants, yet feel that they deserve to be indulged in everything, because they placed their husbands under obligation to them by bringing them a dowry, and then the mere idea of living on the money of the wife, and of being supported by her, is enough to tantalize any man of an independent spirit. 2. Self-support. What spirited husband would not prefer to support both himself and wife? rather than submit to this perpetual bondage of obligation, to live upon a father, or take a patrimony from him, is quite bad enough, but to run in debt to a wife, and owe her a living, is a little too aggravating for endurance, especially if there be not perfect cordiality between the two, which cannot be the case in money matches, better live wifeless, or anything else, rather than marry for money. 3. Money seekers. Shame on sordid wife seekers. Or, rather, money seekers, for it is not a wife that they seek, but only filthy lucre, they violate all their other faculties simply to gratify miserly desire, verily such, have their reward, for, the penitent bower, and to you, young ladies, let me say with great emphasis, that those who court and marry you because you are rich, will make you rue the day of your pecuniary espousals, they care not for you, but only your money, and when they get that, will be liable to neglect or abuse you, and probably squander it, leaving you destitute and abandoning you to your fate. 6. Industry the sign of nobility. Marry a working, industrious young lady, whose constitution is strong, flesh solid, and health unimpaired by confinement, bad habits, or late hours. Give me a plain, homespun farmer's daughter, and you may have all the rich and fashionable bills of our cities and villages. 6. Wasp wastes. Marrying small wastes is attended with consequences scarcely less disastrous than marrying rich and fashionable girls. An amply developed chest is a sure indication of a naturally vigorous constitution and a strong hold on life, while small wastes indicate small and feeble vital organs, a delicate constitution, sickly offspring, and a short life. Beware of them, therefore, unless you wish your heart broken by the early death of your wife and children. 7. Marrying talkers. In marrying a wit or a talker merely, though the brilliant scintillations of the former, or the garrulity of the latter, may amuse or delight you for the time being, yet you will derive no permanent satisfaction from these qualities, 
for there will be no common bond of kindred feeling to assimilate your souls and hold each spell bound at the shrine of the other's intellectual or moral excellence. 8. The second wife. Many men, especially in choosing a second wife, are governed by her own qualifications as a housekeeper mainly, and very industry and economy, though these traits of character are excellent, yet a good housekeeper may be far from being a good wife. A good housekeeper, but a poor wife, may indeed prepare you a good dinner, and keep her house and children neat and tidy, yet this is but a part of the office of a wife, who, besides all her household duties, has those of a far higher order to perform, she should soothe you with her sympathies, divert your troubled mind, and make the whole family happy by the gentleness of her manners, and the native goodness of her heart, a husband should also likewise do his part. 9. Do not marry a man with a low, flat head, for, however fascinating, genteel, polite, tender, plausible or winning he may be, you will repent the day of your espousal. 10. Healthy wires and mothers, let girls romp, and let them range hill and dale in search of flowers, berries, or any other object of amusement or attraction, let them bathe often, skip the rope, and take a smart ride on horseback often interspersing these amusements with a term of sweeping or washing, in order thereby to develop their vital organs, and thus lay a substantial physical foundation for becoming good wives and mothers. The wildest romps usually make the best wives, while quiet, still, demure, sedate and sedentary girls are not worth having. 11. Small stature. In passing, I will just remark, that good size is important in wives and mothers. A small stature is objectionable in a woman, because little women usually have too much activity for their strength, and, consequently, feeble constitutions, hence they die young, and besides, being nervous, suffer extremely as mothers. 12. Hard times and matrimony. Many persons, particularly young men, refuse to marry, especially, these hard times, because they cannot support a wife in the style they wish. To this I reply that a good wife will care less for the style in which she is supported, than for you. She will cheerfully conform to your necessities, and be happy with you in a log cabin. She will even help you support yourself. To support a good wife, even if she have children, is really less expensive than to board alone, besides being one of the surest means of acquiring property. 13. Marrying for a home. Do not, however, marry for a home merely unless you wish to become even more destitute with one than without one, for, it is on the same footing with, marrying for money, marry a man for his merit, and you take no chances, 14, marry to please no one but yourself, marriage is a matter exclusively your own, because you alone must abide its consequences, no person, not even a parent, has the least right to interfere or dictate in this matter, I never knew a marriage, made to please another, to turn out any otherwise than most unhappily. 15. Do not marry to please your parents. Parents cannot love for their children any more than they can eat or sleep, or breathe, or die and go to heaven for them. They may give wholesome advice merely, but should leave the entire decision to the unbiased judgment of the parties themselves, who mainly are to experience the consequences of their choice. Besides, such is human nature, that to oppose lovers, or to speak against the person beloved, only increases their desire and determination to marry. 16. Runaway matches. Many a runaway match would never have taken place but for opposition or interference. Parents are mostly to be blamed for these elopements, 
their children marry partly out of spite and to be contrary. Their very natures tell them that this interference is unjust as it really is and this excites combativeness, firmness, and self-esteem, in combination with the social faculties, to powerful and even blind resistance which turmoil of the faculties hastens the match. Let the affections of a daughter be once slightly enlisted in your favor, and then let the old folks start in opposition, and you may feel sure of your prize. If she did not love you before, she will now, that you are persecuted. 17. D-I-S-I-N-H-E-R-I-D-A-N-C-E. Never disinherit, or threaten to disinherit, a child for marrying against your will. If you wish a daughter not to marry a certain man, oppose her, and she will be sure to marry him, so also in reference to a son. 18. Proper training. The secret island however, all in a nutshell. Let the father properly train his daughter, and she will bring her first love letter to him and give him an opportunity to cherish a suitable affection, and to nip an improper one in the germ, before it has time to do any harm. 19. The fatal mistakes of parents. Their island however one way of effectually preventing an improper match, and that island not to allow your children to associate with any whom you are unwilling they should marry. How cruel as well and unjust to allow a daughter to associate with a young man till the affections of both are riveted, and then forbid her marrying him forbid all association, or consent cheerfully to the marriage. 20. An intemperate lover. Do not flatter yourselves young women, that you can wean even an occasional wine drinker from his cups by love and persuasion. Ardent spirit at first, kindles up the fires of love into the fierce flames of burning licentiousness, which burn out every element of love and destroy every vestige of pure affection. It overexcites the passions, and thereby finally destroys it, producing at first, and bridled libertinism, and then an utter barrenness of love, besides reversing the other faculties of the drinker against his own consort, and those of the wife against her drinking husband. First love, desertion and divorce. 1. First love, this is the most important direction of all. The first love experiences a tenderness, a purity and in reservedness, an exquisiteness, a devotedness, and a poetry belonging to no subsequent attachment. Love, like life has no second spring, though a second attachment may be accompanied by high moral feeling, and to a devotedness to the object loved, yet, let love be checked or blighted in its first pure emotion, and the beauty of its spring is irrecoverably withered and lost, this does not mean the simple love of children in the first attachment they call love, but rather the mature intelligent love of those of suitable age, Two, free from temptations, as long as his heart is bound up in its first bundle of love and devotedness as long as his affections remain reciprocated and uninterrupted so long temptations cannot take effect. This heart is callous to the charms of others, and the very idea of bestowing his affections upon another is abhorrent. Much more so is animal indulgence, which is morally impossible. 3. Second love not constant, but let this first love be broken off, and the floodgates of passion are raised. Temptations now flow in upon him. He casts a lustful eye upon every passing female, and indulges unchaste imaginations and feelings. Although his conscientiousness or intellect may prevent actual indulgence, yet temptations now take effect, and render him liable to err, whereas before they had no power to awaken improper thoughts or feelings. Thus many young men find their ruin. 4. Legal marriage. What would any woman give for merely a nominal or legal husband? just to love with and provide for her, but who entertained not one spark of love for her, or whose affections were bestowed upon another, 
How absurd! How preposterous the doctrine that the obligations of marriage derive their sacredness from legal enactments and injunctions. How it literally profanes this holy of holies, and drags down this heaven-born institution from its original, divine elevation, to the level of a